Good morning. Welcome. So let's continue to build the, that sacred space together. And I invite you to join me with a, as I sing a, a prayer and then move into an affirmative prayer. So if you know the words, you're welcome to sing along. And if you don't, just enjoy the moment. In this very room, there's quite enough love for all the world. And in this very room, there's quite enough joy for all the world. And there's quite enough love and quite enough power to walk through our every fear. For spirit, one spirit, is in this very room, in this very room, in this very room. So let's take a moment as we move into prayer. I know the song has opened our lungs, and perhaps it has opened your awareness. But I would invite you to direct your inner awareness to your heart center right now and simply express words of appreciation and love to your heart. And then quietly and beautifully listen for what your heart has to say to you. And so it's a sweet conversation, but how often do you and I do that? Our heart loves us unconditionally. And as we express that gratitude, it amplifies. It's cracked open. Not out of sorrow, but out of joy and celebration. And so I invite you with that expanded heart center to know these words with me. Allow my words to be your words. If they don't fit, let them wash over you. Don't give them any energy. Stand in the mastery of your being and know that the right and perfect words find you, that lift you and inspire you and help you live and move and have your being in the truth of your being, which is a, an individualized expression of the one. And so I recognize the one life, the supreme God, the father-mother God, this vibration of the most high, this divine principle that goes by many names, that always answers prayer and is surrounded by an army of light workers, whatever we may call them, angels, saints, avatars, whatever word describes it for you as right and perfect, but it exists, it is powerful, it is a reality, and it is the truth of our being as well. We are part, we are part of that vibration of the Most High at the deepest levels of our being. We just happen to be in form, in a different form than they are. And so I recognize that one life is my own. That is the truth of my being, and I just give thanks this day. I give thanks for having a form, for the ability to, to witness creativity, newness, the greater yet to be, that we have come here to face the challenges of this everyday life and to bring mastery to it, to find the philosophy that works for us and to become initiates in that philosophy and then to demonstrate mastery. It is ongoing. I just give thanks knowing that this day is deep and powerful in every good way, not just because of the words and the music shared, but because of the consciousness upon that which we do that impacts each and every one of us. So this room, by decree and declaration, welcomes the presence of spirit, pristine, beautiful, powerful in every good way, informing and directing, healing, guiding, whatever it is, wherever we are on our journey, everything required is called forth here and now in this beautiful open invitation. 
And so the opportunity is to listen between the words and between the notes this day as well to ourselves, to our true selves. What I do not know, something within me does know. I give thanks for this knowing. I give thanks for all the people in service to this beautiful philosophy and teaching, for our musicians, our volunteers, the people that are working with our our youth, our nursery, our cosmic kids, our teen program, for all of the past generations that have gifted us this facility and this opportunity, this philosophy to be here together and the freedom and the joy and the resources of this beautiful country. And so I give thanks. I stand shoulder to shoulder with my brothers and sisters in this tribe of light, of possibility, of opportunity. For this I give thanks and invite you to say with me, and so it is. Oh boy, oh boy, you know, Teresa says, do you ever wake up in the middle of the night? I sleep like a baby, I'm up every 15 minutes, so (laughs) do I ever wake up in the middle of the night? Anyway, it's a good thing though. Those 15 minutes are, I really sound sleep. So, the four S words. Does any, I'm not even going to ask you what to think the four S words are. The four S words are simplify, small, short, and slow. And so these come from a book, a little book called The Practicing Mind, and it's really a wonderful book. It's actually written by a piano tuner. Guy tunes pianos for a living, and it's his journey, his spiritual journey with these, these very Zen Buddhist practices. And I want to roll it into Dr. D- Joe Dispenza's Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself. So you see Dr. Joe up there in a book, and we have it in the bookstore. It's a wonderful book. This guy's brilliant. The thing I love about Dr. Joe is he's just a chiropractor. He's not a, he's not a preacher. He's not a spiritual guy. I mean, he's very spiritual, but he's a chiropractor. And my son, my stepson, Max Levine, who's over at the University of Alberta doing his residency, when I talked to him about chiropractic, um, (laughs) not so much, okay? But I've had great success and a lot of assistance and relief from really good chiropractors. And so I'm, like I say, Max, it can be both and. Everything has its place, a season. I can't hear you, and I'm not going to get into that conversation right now. Thank you. So anyway, what Joe talks about is, Dr. Joe talks about in his uh, book, uh, these ideas that make up our our personal reality, their thoughts. First one is thoughts. The second one is choices. Then it's experiences. Then it's emotions. And then it's the same thoughts, which creates our personality, which then creates our personal reality. So he's just looking at it from a, a, a scientific perspective. And, you know, that which we dwell upon, we become. And so it's this cycle that we go through. We have thoughts. Typically, they're the same thoughts that make the same choices, that create the same experiences, that we have the same emotions, and bring us right back to the same thoughts. So in spiritual practice, or awareness helps us break those patterns. That is our opportunity. We have this amazing mind and capacity for newness. But unless we have the awareness, unless we wake up to it, we just stay on that merry-go-round. And it's a very popular idea. We identify with certain experiences, and then we, from that experience, we identify with a, a religion and a political party and a way of life and all these various things. And they're just our own personalities that create that personal reality. So, thoughts, choices, behaviors, experiences, and emotions create a personality that creates your personal reality. Your personality are the thoughts you fire and wire in your brain. It's all choice. 
the things that you fire and wire in your brain through repetition. We memorize them. Dr. Joe's recipe for a new personal reality, meditation, intention, sponsoring thoughts, creating a plan, record your successes, and cue your life. And I'll talk a little bit more about cueing your life today. I didn't, or this session, I didn't get into it, the last session, as, as deeply as I wanted to. So there's 60 to 70,000 thoughts per day is what they estimate. You, have, you and I have 60 to 70 thoughts per day. And 90% of those thoughts are the same as the day before. So creating a new personal reality requires us to examine our thoughts and, and our thinking, examine your habits and behaviors, and examine the emotions that you live by. You know, all of our, our classwork here, all of the classes Reverend Tammy was talking about in the announcements, are all designed in one way or another to uh, spark awareness, to look at the status quo of what we believe, and then start to dismantle that in a way that creates an opportunity for something perhaps more interesting. So people will come in and they'll have an experience of tragedy or trauma or catastrophe, and they will believe that, that was, there's some arbitrary force in the universe that has gifted that upon them as a punishment or, or somehow they've just got bad luck or whatever it may be. But what we know is that consciousness in the sum total of our beliefs brings into our experience the beingness of what we are. And that's good news and it can be bad news because there's no one more miserable, as they say, than a miserable metaphysician. Because there's no place to point a finger. Why has this come into my life? Why am I, why am I having this experience? And so that's the opportunity. Stepping into, it's called, and Dr. Joe calls it stepping into the void. So we, we literally, to change our personal reality, have to become, we have to become someone else. Most people try to create a new personal reality as the same personality, but it doesn't work. See, it's the consciousness of the thing itself that needs to shift and change. Our biology, our neurology, and our genes remain equal to who we are by doing the same things and making the same choices. The moment people step out of the familiar self, they're no longer thinking the same way or acting the same way. They, they are experiencing the same, or they are not experiencing the same event the same way or making the same choices. We step out into the unknown. There's the void, stepping out into the unknown. So it's uncomfortable. I don't particularly like heights, so I thought, well, this is a good picture because I don't like heights. I know I'm safe, but it still makes me uncomfortable. And so there's something within me, and you know, I deal with it. I know when I am somewhere high, I just typically close my eyes and tell myself I'm safe because it has a visceral effect on me. But it, what it is is it creates the void and it's uncertainty. My, my teacher, Reverend Catherine Yates, used to say, get comfortable being uncomfortable. It is an ongoing, if you're going to be on this path, get comfortable being uncomfortable. If you're not uncomfortable, see, we're here to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. There's two sides to it. When we start to fall asleep in the sum total of our beliefs, it's an opportunity for newness and possibility. And it's, not, and it's, a, it's a wonderful thing because why we do that? Why would we do that? Why would we not just get together and sing kumbaya and hug one another and, oh, you're so beautiful, and you are too. Esther told me, she heard me say when someone was leaving, and I said, I love you, I love you, I love you. And she said, you never say that to me. And I went up to her and I hugged her and said, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you. She said, thanks. That's all Esther needed. Esther's back there ushering. She's got the blue hair, tall, beautiful, blue-haired woman. But really blue, not old blue, like new blue. <laughs> new blue. 
But, and that's a beautiful thing. We can do that. But it's not, not why we gather. We can get that just about anywhere we go. We're here about the transformation of consciousness. I'm really clear about that. And why that's so precious and important to me personally is that I know that you have gifts that no one else has. Every person has a destiny. Every person has unique gifts. And you may not even, you may be so far away from that right now. You may be down here on that, on that spectrum and your gifts are over here, but you still got them. And if you, don't, if you don't develop them and share them and bless us with them, we all lose. It, we all lose. There is no private good, as Dr. Ernest Holmes, our founder, would say. There is no private good. Your good is my good. There is no competition. And so what I want to, I, I look at the problems of the world and I go, this is just ignorance. This is just lack of leadership. This is lack of consciousness. How can we bring consciousness to this? doesn't mean that we sit together and we meditate all day long and pray all day long. That should be part of our life. Then we take it into the world. We become movers and shakers to a greater and more effective degree. I think everybody has those gifts and challenges. So when we step into the void many times, it is very uncomfortable. Being uncomfortable, get, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Our tendency is when we start to step out into newness, because it is so foreign, we want to step back into what we know. Oh, let's go back there. I, would, I had uh, an opportunity to hang out with Len Rhodes uh, Friday night at a, a function. It was a great party. That was a 60th birthday party we were invited to, and Len happened to be there. And Len is the president. He's the general manager of, um, or he's the president. He's the president of the Edmonton Eskimos football team, local football team. Maybe you've heard of him here in Edmonton. <laughs> anyway, and I said, Len, isn't it, isn't it kind of disheartening to, to win the Grey Cup? You know, you, you get the brass ring. And then the coach leaves and all the coaches with him and some of the players leave and it's like, wow, this is the reward for success. And he said, you know, it is. But he said, it's also good for the league to have balanced competition. And you have to look, and this is why Len's doing what he's doing. He said, you have to have that perspective. It's not just about one team or one city. It's about the league. I mean, I, you know, I hear, I'm, I'm, I, I live in Edmonton, so I know all about the Oilers. And what would it look like if the Oilers won the, the Stanley Cup every year, forever? Forever. Why even try? And so the tide came in, and then the tide's gone out. And there, you know, there's people stepping up to, to service that. The same with the Eskimos. There, there are going to be new players that come in. There's going to be new coaches that come in that create opportunities, and their gifts get to get stretched and identified and expanded or not. But this is the nature of life. I mean, if, it was always, if life were just stagnant all the time, let's get those guys that won the, the, the Great Cup back when Warren Moon was the, the uh, quarterback. I bet you some of them can actually still run, you know? But this is life. We have generations and things shift. And, and that's exciting. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Competition isn't a, isn't a bad thing. It's just that when our lives are based on competition that, I that if you have, I can't have, which is just a lie, that whole thing, I mean, competition, that healthy competition, it stretches us because what it does, it, it, it lifts us up to be the best we can be. You know, I get up every Sunday morning and say, this is the best talk I'm ever going to do in my entire life. That may or may not be true. By what, whose measurements? But I got to start there. If I just say, oh, oh man, this is really going to be bad today. I think I'll just see if somebody coming in the door might have... 25, 30 minutes of something to say. I'll go drink coffee at second cup. Where does that take me? 
What, what, and so the invitation for this, this infinite genius is, it says, oh, there's no place for us to show up today because it's shut down. I mean, that's the way it works. So when we ground ourselves in that awareness, so what happens is, so most people wait till there's disaster or trauma, there's something that disease shows up, catastrophe, before they make a decision to change. Anybody know anybody like that? We have people in our community that have been diagnosed with stage four cancer. One man that made a full recovery was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And through uh, altering his diet and the way he was, was uh, um, his exercise program and the way he was thinking, over a period of time, he shifted all of it. He's completely healthy now. Just had another brain scan. I get, you know, he sends me texts all the time and, and uh, lets me know. But he took it upon himself, but he got the diagnosis. I mean, when you get a diagnosis like that, you step up. But as Joe Dispenza says, why wait? Because it is possible to change through joy and inspiration. Research has shown that if a person is willing to start with one small habit, they are more prone to break other habits in their lives. One small habit. We can learn to change in a state of joy and celebration. Last month, Dr. Michael Beckwith used his book, People... um, Evolved people either look at, life as a, uh, look at life as a celebration, not a problem to solve. So how do we break that pattern for ourselves? Another problem to solve. You break one small habit, you're more prone to, to break another. And then our life becomes a leap of faith. Rather than this stepping into the void. It's like, wow, I don't know what's happening, but I know it's going to be great. Something good is happening here. I can feel it. I mean, what if you got up every morning and said that, man, something great is happening. I can't tell you what it is, but I know it's going to find me today. Hood. Sounds like a bomb's going to go off here any second. (laughs) Anyway, that'll keep me on my toes. I'm going to stand over here just in case it is. (laughs) Move over this side. Anyway, but what, what do we do to ourselves energetically when we say something like that? It's just that we're making it up anyway, but we're making up the bad stuff anyway. You know, we, we, we get into these moments of stress. The example Dr. Joe Dispenza uses, there's a slide here. Here's a, here's a lion chasing a zebra. Now, a zebra, when he's getting chased by a lion, he has a, or she has a natural stress mechanism. It's stressful. And, and things fire and the adrenaline gets going. And it starts running like crazy. And you know what? 15 minutes later, if the, lion, if the zebra gets away... It's grazing. It doesn't remember. It shuts down the stress mechanism, doesn't need it. It's eating grass now. Present moment awareness. But us as human beings, here, I'll show you the next slide. <clears throat> so this is some of the uh, lions that have been freed and put back into the wild. They now have uh, motorcycles to chase us. So those of you that need that stressor, there you go. Uh, those of us, us humans, we have this amazing capacity to create stress for ourselves just by thinking about it. Just by sitting around and worrying. Worrying, worrying is negative prayer. And it is so popular. It is the most, one of the most popular ideas on the planet. With all the conditions that are going on out there in the world and things shifting and changing, and they always do. And so it creates stress. We turn on our stress mechanism and we can focus on it to the exclusion of everything Everything else becomes our main focus. I got this one problem, I gotta solve, I gotta fix this. And we can knock the body out of this physiology balance, physiological balance. Just as if we're being chased by the lion. 
And what was once highly adapted becomes maladapted for ours. Because stress is good for us. If there's periods of, of, of threat, we have the same stress mechanism as the zebra. But we can pick it up at any time and run with it and make it a way of life. So when we do that and we turn it on and we can't shut it off, we're headed for disease. Our thoughts can make us sick and our thoughts can make us well. That's the good news and the bad news. The epigenetics of us that is the signal to the gene, our gene makeup, and the environment around the cell. They did a study, Dr. Joe talks about it in his book, they did a study with diabetics, they brought him in for an hour, showed him a really funny, great movie, and they laughed pretty much for a whole hour. And what they found was the blood levels rose, the more the laughter was there. And they were turning on new genes and shutting down genes that were no longer appropriate for the amount of joy they were having. And laughter is a, is a serious, serious, powerful spiritual practice. So when you become a new personality, you and I, you reorganize your biology. We can, do the, we can undo the damage. We can facilitate significant changes. 95% of who we are by the age of 35 is a set of memorized behaviors. A set of memorized behaviors by the age of 35. Isn't that fascinating? We're really good at memorizing. So what we have is we have 5% at our disposal to assist us in creating a new personal reality. So it's not over. We have, we have 5%, which is all we need. We could probably do it with 1%. Yeah, woohoo, exactly. So the practices for a new personal reality are simple, and most of the, us know them, but, but Dr. Joe has such a great way of expressing it. And first of all, meditation. And I know we talked about it last month, and meditation is, can be a challenge for people to slow down for a period of time each day. And so we'll, get, we'll, we'll roll those four principles in, the four S's words into this thing about simplify. And um, I should have them memorized, and I don't have them memorized yet. Simplify, small, short, and slow. But meditation, what meditation does is Dr. Joseph, because he's just a scientist. He's not a preacher. He says it takes us down below the conscious mind and the analytical mind. It takes us deeper. And, they, and studies have shown that 10 minutes a day can be enough. It doesn't have to be all day long, but 10 minutes a day of mindful meditation to go below, below the conscious and the analytical mind, because that's what's typically firing, especially when we start meditation. It's that conscious mind saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? We got stuff to get done. Let's go. And to just simply have the awareness to say, we'll get there, we'll get there. We're just gonna, we're gonna set our day up in a, in a wonderful way. Meditation through, goes beyond that to the operating system where true changes can take place, where we start to connect with that hardwiring, that operating system of our, of our own beingness, the place where we can make significant changes and reprogram our minds. What happens when we go there is we have the opportunity to get in those new, those new uh, channels in our brains firing. So number one is the, the meditation. Number two is setting an intention. Get clear on what you want. Get clear on what you want. When you do uh, one of our classes, we just finished up the, the session with uh, Living My Life Purpose. And, and the core of that is spiritual practices that lead you to the eighth class where you identify a sacred covenant. And a sacred covenant is where you, you write an agreement with spirit. And it's your intentions that go in. And there's usually five to seven intentions that's very lovely and it's rich and it's powerful and it's done over a series of weeks. Because what happens over the series of weeks is there's spiritual practices that help lift some of the, the, the dross of those error beliefs 
so that there's a, an availability of newness and inspiration. But the beautiful thing about it is, Joe says, is that when you write it down, when you write your goals and intentions down, you have a better chance of succeeding. Do you know how many people statistically write down their goals? 2%. 2% of the population writes down their goals. And if you write down your goals and intentions, you have an 80% better chance of succeeding. And yet 2% of us do it. The moment you write it down, as Dr. Joe says, is you have a direction you're moving in. I'm going here. This is, what, this is my direction I'm moving. Oh, that's right. I made an agreement. I'm moving in this direction. It's sort of a contract you make with yourself and that higher wisdom self that lives within you. So meditation, going below the conscious and the analytical mind. Intention, get clear on what you want, write it down. Number three, sponsoring thoughts. So sponsoring thoughts. So perhaps you're looking for greater wealth, financial wealth in your life. And if you dig a little deeper, what does that represent? Why have financial wealth in our lives? Well, what it creates for most of us is an experience of freedom, of relief. There's nothing wrong with having relief in our lives. We are not designed to be driven out of scarcity and lack and limitation. So many people feel that way. I know because I talk to them almost every day. Obsessive thinking. So wealth represents freedom. Health. Why have great health? What's the point of having great health? Well, it allows vitality. It allows us to move upon this beautiful planet, do the things that we'd like to do. When we have dexterity, we can learn how to play an instrument. We have eyes to see and read great books and go to the, the symphony and hear great music and be inspired and listen to the, the spoken word, to, to hear our, our, our sons and daughters and, and, and grandchildren cry and learn how to speak. I mean, all those beautiful things. But if we don't have our health, we, we're probably not there for it. So the point I'm making is wealth represents freedom, health, vitality. Love might mean joy and fulfillment for us. But those are juicier ideas. So when you have sponsoring thoughts, I want to live this life of vitality and freedom and opportunity and creativity, those are juicier than just saying wealth. <clears throat> and what they do is they really help make the intention stick. So when we marry a clear intention with an elevated emotion, we begin to reprogram our program because it has meaning for us. Wow, this is an opportunity, and it brings me to life. And there's an emotion behind it. So it starts to fire new pathways in our brains. See how simple this can be? Number four, to create a plan and action steps to take us each day. So to ask ourselves, he talks in the book about sitting down with yourself every morning and writing down what your day is going to look like before you go out the door. This is going to be an incredibly successful day. I'm planning on everything and everyone that I need to show up in my life being there right on time. Why not? Instead of sitting there and going, well, I hope this works out. I hope my car doesn't break down on the way there. And I hope so-and-so doesn't show up. That's just victim consciousness. But how many of us do that? How many of us write down in the morning, I'm going to spend five minutes here planning my day with my, my success team. They're all around me. They're spiritual. There's Jesus. There's Buddha. Whoever it may be, there's my grandparents, whatever it is. You call them in. I mean, it's spiritual practice. They're in the quantum field. They're right there. It's a non-local experience. What thoughts am I going to think today? Let me remind myself of the thoughts and actions I'm not going to think and do today. 
So if you made a de decision about health and you realize there's a certain way that I eat that I don't want to eat anymore, and you make the agreement. And if you get through that whole day, at the end of the day, you get to write it down, you record it. You've created a plan and then you record it because when you write it down, you celebrate it and you give it energy and it's important to you. Once again, you're writing it down. That's why journaling is so important. Wow, I had the most amazing day. I didn't get upset and angry with anyone. And when I did, I did my forgiveness work right away. They never, they never disturbed my state of the truth of my being. Look at the emotions that you want to bring to a, to a, that bring us to a lower level. You know, those, the anxiety, the fear, the anger, the frustration. And stop it. I'm not doing that right now. Remember that practice last month? Close your eyes, let your jaw relax, and create that blank screen across the, your field of vision and your awareness. Shut down the mainframe for five, ten seconds. <sighs> Nothing to do. Let the circuits slow down a little bit. Think about what you want to be today and the choices that you want to make. And I already mentioned it, you know, write down your successes, record your successes in a journal, track your successes that you're creating because that helps you create new habits. So simple, but powerful and profound and it just takes minutes. Change is truly changing your energy, changing your energy field. That's really what it is, it's an energetic and that's why emotions are so powerful and important. And then cueing your life. Remind yourself where you're going and your subconscious mind will take you there. Your subconscious mind will take you there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this today. I'm gonna, and, and so with this small, the simplify, small, short, and slow, how can we apply that in our lives? Maybe you have a book that's waiting to be written, but you've got to have a window of time. This is very personal for me. You know, I've got two books almost done. And I realize that I keep waiting for a big window of time which doesn't show up. So it's my resistance showing up because I've made up this idea. But what if I simplified it and said, you know what, I'm going to write each day for an hour. And my goal will be 500 words a day. And I'll, I'll, so I simplify it in a way so it's, it's manageable for me. He uses the example in the book, um, The Practicing Mind. He talks about simplifying. So the simplifying is you've got a goal out there, but how can you break it down today? You know, Charles, Charles is going to start teaching a class on financial, the, the nuts and bolts of, of financial um, stewardship here in the class. And, and uh, Charles Beguin, and, he, and he's been doing this for a long time, and he's just a wonderful young man. But we talked about how simple, simplicity, so do you have a savings account in your life? Do you have a place where you put money, where you intend to put money? Because if you're a, if you're a millionaire in training, most millionaires save money, along with other things they do with their money. It just doesn't come in and go out. I did that for years. I've got a PhD and it comes in and goes out because I always had more bills than I had money. But if you simplify and say, you know, this month I'm going to save $20 a month or I'm going to save $50 a month or I'm going to save $100 a month, whatever it may be. And, and then savings becomes part of your life. You start building the practice. You start creating a habit. And you make it small so it's an amount that you can do. And you, he uses the example in the book of cleaning the garage, which I think is great. He said, so I've got the garage, it's got, all got to be cleaned out. And I go in there and I look at it and it's overwhelming. So what he said is, I pick one corner and I say, this, today I'm going to clean this corner. I'm going to organize this corner from this point to this point. And what I'm going to do is, and I'm going to do that so it, it breaks it down. It's not the whole, it's, it simplifies it, it makes it small. And then I, I'm going to spend 45 minutes every day cleaning the garage until it's clean. 
And then the slow part is to slow down whatever we're doing so that we are fully aware of what we're doing while we're doing it. He talks in the, in the book about tuning a piano. He's a renowned piano tuner. And he talks about going in and he tunes some pianos five or six times a week because he does it for a lot of the bigger symphony orchestras. I think he's on the East Coast somewhere. And he would go in and he said, today I'm going to go really slow, slower than ever before. And so he brought in his toolbox and he, put it, he opened it up. And rather than pull all the tools out and run over and start tuning the piano, he just put each one on the on a nice cloth and he laid each one out individually. And then he went and tuned the piano. He put them back in the box, went over to the next one, did the same ritual, really went slow. But he didn't have his watch on, he turned his cell phone off, and he said by the time he got done with those pianos and he went out to his vehicle and he turned on the ignition and saw what time it was, it actually took him less time to do that, even though he thought he was going slower than it normally does. And isn't it fascinating? I think it's possible for us to slow down time. But it's just an amazing little story about what do we do that we're in a habitual pattern of, but to slow it down so we bring an awareness to it. It's spiritual practice because it involves a different energetic. And they're so simple. So simplify, small, short, and slow. So Dr. Joe, he's got it. I mean, he's, he's, he's on it with these practices. They're beautiful and they're powerful. It's amazing. Just as simple. So in your spiritual practice, do you meditate? Do you, do you give yourself five minutes or ten minutes a day to go down beyond, below the conscious mind and the analytical mind? It'll take some practice to do that because most of the time when we start, the busy mind just says, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your time. And to have the awareness and the de- devotion to say, no, I'm giving birth to something new. There's something alive in you and I. There's something alive within me that, and I want to be in that conversation. There's something that's not happening here. That I want to fulfill my destiny. Marion Woodman said we either are fulfilling our destiny or we are escaping it. And once again, we all have gifts. We have unique gifts. And if we don't share them, we all lose. We don't even know what they are. We all lose. And that's what being alive at this point in time, I believe, is, is it's, it's an exciting time to be alive. We have the opportunity to, to go deep in our own spirituality, to embody the Christ consciousness you know, people ask me many times, are we Christian? And everybody's definition of that is, is different. But Dr. Holmes used to say, I am Christian and more. In other words, he understood spirituality, but it wasn't in a box. It wasn't in a certain denomination or a dogma. It was in this philosophy of life that we can take and we can look at our lives and examine it and give birth and welcome to the greater yet to be the possibility that is in alignment with that sweet place to live from, which is unconditional love, and it is creativity, and it is a world that works for everyone. It is possible, despite what people will tell you out there. And to, and to nurture that consciousness within ourselves through spiritual practice, to know we don't have to do it all at once, we can simplify it and break it down into manageable pieces that can be small and short and slow and, and highly significant. And, that's such a, and then we become a gift everywhere we go. And we model that for the, those that love us, you know, and, and the people that we care about deeply, you know, to pass that on to our children, you know, and to say, you know what, there's problems on the planet, but innovation and devotion and creativity and opportunity, we can get through these things. We always have. You know, Oprah, uh, someone sent me a video, I'll show it next week, but Oprah was talking and um, at the end of one of her shows, and she said, I've talked to a number of people over the years doing OWN and all the interviews and all these accomplished people, 
And she said, what would you tell your younger self as your older self now? What's the one thing that you would say to your younger self if you could have that conversation? And she said, to a person, each one says, relax. Relax. It always works out. It's going to work out. What if that became part of our way of being, our personal reality? Despite what's going on, I'm going to relax. I'm going to listen deeply. I'm going to dip into that deep well of that knowingness that goes below my analytical and conscious mind. I know that something within me does know. I'm going to be guided. I'm going to be open and available to the synchronicities of life that line up to the solutions that are before me. I'm going to understand that it is not all instantaneous, that God's delay is not God's denial in my life. There's something that for me to know here. There's something for someone else to know here. There's a dance going on, and I know that's alive and dynamic, and to trust in that. You know, there's stories of, of gurus that, would, that evolved masters, spiritual masters, and, and they would impart cosmic consciousness to their de- devotees. They just slap them on the back, and boom. It never worked out well. It never worked out well. Because we have, to, we have to walk the steps and embody it bit by bit ourselves. That's why we don't do it. I mean, if, if Jesus could be here today, he wouldn't heal the whole planet. Because he understands the journey and the dignity and, the, and the, the beauty of all of our individual souls. And would see us with the eyes of unconditional love. And support us absolutely. You know, there were those stories of healing that came about. Because people turned to that consciousness. You know, they touched the hem of his cloak and have a transformation. But they were available to it. But, you know, he didn't just say, okay, it's all over, everybody, it's, uh, everything's dandy, there you go. No, it's our journey, it's our opportunity to do the work. So to have these beautiful, we, we live in such a beautiful time of information and opportunity. These, these four simple words simplify small, short, and slow. What can you do differently? How can you think about yourself differently? So wonderful... Um, little poem by John O'Donohue, who's an Irish poet, and uh, he, he passed away a few years ago, that I think I'll leave you with today, that I think so beautifully expresses what we, this, this information that Dr. Joe is talking about. It's from a book by John O'Donohue called to, uh, to Bless the Space Between Us. It's a book of blessings. And this one is for friendship. May you be blessed with good friends and learn to be a good friend to yourself. Boy, that's a hard one, isn't it? What simple practices can you and I incorporate into our lives to be a good friend to ourselves? Maybe it's just to say, relax. It's going to work out. Journeying to that place in your soul where there is love, warmth, and feeling. May this change you. It's exactly what we just talked about. Journeying to that place in your soul where there is love, warmth, and feeling. May this change you. That's the destination with meditation. May it transfigure what is negative distant or cold within your heart. May you be brought into real passion, kindness, and belonging. May you treasure your friends. May you be good to them. Be there for them and receive all the challenges, truth, and light you need. The challenges, truth, and light that we each need. We all need that. And may you never be isolated but know the embrace of your Anamkara. And Anamkara is a Celtic phrase for two flames that burn as one. He's got a beautiful poem about that in in his book called Anamkara that I use at weddings all the time. But it's two flames coming together to burn as one. And I believe that's what happens in spiritual practice. So it's an exciting and beautiful month. I look forward to spending more time with Dr. Joe this month and sharing it with you. And I, I just celebrate the simplicity 
and the small and the short and the slow and the opportunities and possibilities that these four simple ideas create for you. So blessings, so it is.